The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. As we reach chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, what we have seen uh, in the past three chapters is that Jesus is really in the thick of his teaching ministry, which could be summed up by that opening statement, which was the last sermon I preached in in Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Uh, Jesus' message is one about the closeness of the kingdom. And he's demonstrated that kingdom, as we've seen in uh, in power through miraculous healings. He's demonstrated that with authoritative teaching. That's how the kingdom is now manifesting itself uh, in the first few chapters of Mark's gospel. And we've seen that there are some who have rejected his ministry, even calling it demonic. But all in all, he's drawn quite a crowd. And that's where we are today. And that's important to realize that this is a crowd of interested followers. Why? If you had asked me when I was younger... Which one was scarier? The, the passage about the unforgivable sin where you commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and you can never receive forgiveness or the parable of the sower. I mean, I'm saying the blasphemy one. That sounds terrifying. But this morning, I'm, I'm not so sure if that's really the scarier one because in this parable, Jesus is speaking to those interested ones. He's caught their attention. And it's almost like here in this passage, he's speaking to church people. And most of the ones in the church aren't those who are attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to the power of Satan, right? Most of you guys aren't, when I read, read something, you're not saying, that's demonic, you know, that's of Satan's power. We're here to receive Jesus' words. But it very well could be that some of us here today are some of these people in this parable. The interested ones, the followers, the crowd. And what does Jesus have to say to us? This parable contains a great warning. And I stopped reading where I did in verse 9 because I wanted us, the crowd, today, to hear it first like the crowd back then heard it, just in its parable form, verses 1 to 9. But we actually do have more available to us for interpreting this parable. But before we get there, let's just ask a quick question because we're going to have a long string of these things in Mark chapter 4. What is a parable? And three quick uh, helpful tips for interpreting and understanding and uh, what these parables are. Number, number one is that the Greek word parable means cast alongside, uh, parabolo. So it is a story or a saying used as an illustration to come alongside a truth. And it's usually fictional. And uh, number two is that they typically use everyday language in relatable situations. There was nothing in verses one to nine, even with our context being 2,000 years removed, that probably wasn't immediately understandable to you. Maybe a couple things here and there that could use some extra detail, but we get it. We get he's using everyday situations that people can relate to to illustrate the truth that he's coming alongside. And number three, and something we're going to explore more in the coming weeks, is that parables, even though they use typical everyday language, are used both to reveal truth and to conceal truth depending on who's listening. They are Jesus' way of clearly, yet also mysteriously, revealing and bringing in the kingdom of God. Compare this to his his speeches earlier in the uh, Gospel of Mark. Remember Mark chapter 2, 
you know, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Take up your mat and walk. That's not a parable. He's saying, so you know I can forgive sins. Pick up your mat and walk. Or even last week's passage, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. It's not a parable. It's just direct truth. And then we get to chapter 4 of Mark. And it's different. It's a little indirect. It's kind of mysterious. Even though the language is obviously understandable, the meaning. What does it really mean? So our parable today is called uh, traditionally the parable of the sower. But there is a case to be made for it to be called the parable of the soils as well. Uh, I'm going to put that uh, debate to rest and say that Matthew 13, 18, Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. So uh, that's good enough for me. And he probably just calls it that because the sower is the first one to appear in the story. And I, I do sympathize with those who label this passage as the parable of the soils. Why? Because it's, it's certainly true that the four different soils we read about receive the spotlight. Like that is the focus. Of, of course, Jesus speaks this parable with the intention of calling our attention to the soils, not the sower. In fact, very little attention is giving, given to who is sowing. And it's also not a whole lot of attention given to the seed. Right? The seed is, is not the variable here. It's the same seed that's scattered over all types of soil. The same seed. The parable teaches us to see this seed as incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. Able to produce grain in good soil in staggering amounts. The 30-fold, the 60-fold, the 100-fold. And that's actually the surprising element in this particular parable which most parables contain. Some kind of shocking, surprising twist at the end, right? That's this one, the power of the seed in good soil. It's shocking how powerful it is. It's meant to teach us that the seed, or as we'll see, the word, is more than able to usher in God's powerful kingdom. More than able to usher it in. In fact, in Matthew's account of the parable of the sower, uh, he calls the seed the word of the kingdom. That's what it's doing. When it's planted, it brings in the kingdom. God's kingdom is coming, and it will come through the scattering of this seed. So it's not the sower who's the most important. It's not the seed who is the, the central aspect of this parable. There's only one more, but there's, there's one more aspect to consider before we get to the soils. If this fictional parable is cast alongside... Jesus has a truth he's trying to explain. He sets this parable alongside it. If this um, fictional parable is supposed to demonstrate some kind of spiritual truth, what is that truth? It's the truth that is actually taking place right before their very eyes and ears. Jesus is, in this situation, the sower. Jesus is scattering the seed of the word and the various soils represent the various responses in the hearts of those who are present to hear. It's happening. As he tells the parable, it's happening right now. It's as the kids say these days, pretty meta, right? Even more than that, this parable is taking place again right here and now. Why? Because it's cast alongside the truth that takes place whenever any sower disperses the word of God. Anytime this happens, this parable is taking place. And I believe that's why the sower is never identified in this parable. 
neither in Jesus speaking the parable to the people, to the crowd, or when he goes behind the scenes to his disciples and he offers an explanation. He doesn't tell you who the sower is. He just says, a sower. Whenever the word is spoken to listeners, whether that's through Jesus, whether that's through a Sunday morning sermon, whether that's to you and your neighbor as you're sharing the word of God, the soil is tested. Kids always think their parents are weird, and, and most of the time they're right. And I thought this about my dad when I was growing up uh, because he cared so much about his grass. That's what I thought was really strange about my dad. Uh, cutting it on a particular schedule, watering it methodically instead of just waiting until it rained, ordering in loads of sand and topsoil to fill in the holes and uh, the dips, always talking about different kind of fertilizers and pre-emergent weed killer, and then it happened. Uh, I grew up and became a little bit of a lawn mutt myself. Not in an over kind, uh, the over-the-top kind of way, although my wife might beg to differ, but she's not here to uh, <laughs> say that. I just appreciate being able to run in the backyard with my kids and not trip in a hole and break an ankle, or if it rains, my backyard doesn't turn into this giant mud hole because there's no grass. Like, I just, I like this. Um, but I've learned over the, the past few years of lawn care the importance of soil quality, right? Getting a proper balance between the different nutrients and elements in the dirt. Too much nitrogen can harm the grass, promote weed, gr- weed growth. Too much phosphorus can keep grass from absorbing other necessary nutrients from the soil. You get the picture. In order to have a nice lawn, you have to test the soil. Like, what's in it? That's what Jesus does in this passage. And that's what we do this morning. He tests the quality of the soil. How? By testing the quality of their hearing. And the point this morning for us is to put our own hearts through that same examination to test the quality of the soil of our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5 really helps me in this to understand, is is this proper? Should we really be examining ourselves or should we be looking towards the cross? Both are true. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and test yourselves. That's what Jesus does this morning. And before you guys freak out about a test, I mean, it's summer. It's like, I don't do tests in the summer. I barely do them during the school year. So why would I do them now? Jesus goes ahead and gives us the answer to the test in the form of bookends, right? The beginning of the parable and the end of the parable. They both end with the same Greek verb, listen, Hear, hear, listen. It's the same Greek verb. Verse three, Jesus just says with an exclamation mark, listen, very emphatically, listen to what I'm about to say. Verse nine, he ends the parable with, he who has ears, let him hear. It's the same Greek verb. Let him hear, listen. So what is the answer to the test? Good soil. You put it through the test. How does it pass? Three simple words. Good soil listens. That's it. That's it. That's it. Good soil listens. So the question for this morning, we're going to take from Jesus' one repeated command, listen, let him hear. And we're going to turn that into the question for our own hearts this morning. Are you truly listening to the word? Are you truly listening to the word? So to answer that question, let's take a look at these four soils. 
So in the parable, verse 4, we have this. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Let's jump down to the explanation in verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. It's Jesus' explanation to the disciples as he explains what is this hardened path, the first soil, the hardened path. Uh, This week, I actually got to go hiking with uh, one of my best friends. He's about to have his second child, and he was just needing, like, you know. Um, He lives in a tiny little New Jersey apartment, and he already has, you know, it's 800 square feet. Three people live in there, and there are about to be four people living in there. And he's just like, I just got to get outside. So we went hiking. And as I'm hiking, I, I know that I'm about to preach this message. And honestly, I don't expect, again, any sermon illustrations to come my way. But as I was thinking, uh, I mean, just consider me kind of dull, right? I, I'm fine with that. You see this path, and I'm looking for snakes because uh, it's timber rattlesnakes are everywhere up here. But right along the path, there's a lot of vegetation. I mean, different kinds, um, but some of it, you know, ankle height, some of it waist height. And we're walking through this path, and I'm thinking, the path is only this big. Why doesn't it grow? Like, why are there... Yeah, there's rocks there, but there's probably rocks off the path too. Why, why is there no growth on the trail? Uh, a, for some reason, it had just never dawned on me as strongly in this moment, but it's because it's trodden upon by hundreds of people every day. If it's a, if it's a common place to walk, uh, the, the soil has been packed down so hard that even if a seed falls on it, it's too hard to penetrate the soil. That's why it doesn't grow. It's not that seed doesn't fall there. It's not that uh, it couldn't. It's the fact that it is calloused. It is hardened. Um, this is actually in Luke's account in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. He, he begins like this. A sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. This is a walking path. People use this. Uh, I, I, I think back to all the Old Testament imagery and even New Testament imagery of what this path represents. Think of how many times God called his people stiff-necked. God called his people hard-hearted. He talked about their deaf ears. The inability of the seed of the word to penetrate the hearts of the people. That's what this hardened path represents. Um, Think about how calluses are made. Maybe calluses on your, your hands or your feet. So something happens over and over, right? Here, what Jesus is saying is that the word of God has continually been put in these people's ears and they have continuously rejected it. And from this, uh, this well-trodden path of word rejected, word rejected, they have become calloused and, and, and hardened. Because the truth is, it's incredibly dangerous to come here every Sunday or to have been a part of a church for a long time and to have heard the word preached over and over and over again and to never respond. Uh, you look in the book of Hebrews, um, mul- multiple places in the New Testament, it warns readers that sometimes it's better not to have heard if you're not going to accept it. 
And that's what it is here. I hope over the next few weeks we get to hear about this more. Think of, of Pharaoh, how he was encountered with the word of God from the lips of Moses. And at first he hardened his heart. I will not let your people go. Hardened his heart. By the end of it, who's doing the hardening? God is. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He repeatedly encountered the word. He consistently rejected it. And then God hardened his heart. But what's the problem with a hardened heart? Think about, um, think about something with a hard shell on the outside. And nothing can penetrate into the middle. What is that object stuck with? Whatever is already on the inside. And how do, how do the scriptures present the human heart? Not very good. Not wicked. Deceitful above all things. Right? The human heart is. So if our hearts are hardened and nothing can penetrate to the middle... We're stuck with our own wickedness. And that's bad news. The good news is that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to pierce. Mark, um, well, we'll just go to the First Peter passage. First Peter was the book that we just got done. Uh, well, let's read Mark 4.25 if you, since it's already open. Here Jesus says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Taken away, the same language used in this first soil, the hardened path, as the birds sweep down and they eat the seed that that's fall, has fallen on the path. What does that mean? Well, in Jesus' explanation, he says this, These are the ones along the path where the word is sown, and when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Uh, a lot of translations there, when it says Satan comes and takes away, it says the birds, and maybe in, even in Matthew's gospel, I can't, I can't remember for sure, it says they devour the seed. Like the same, the same word that we saw in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, right? That, that verb devour so often um, it's, it's attributed to sin, sinful desires, or Satan himself. And it's, it's almost the same word, the first Peter and this word in Mark 4. It's, uh, in Mark's gospel, the word is to gobble up in eating. In first Peter, the word is to gobble up in drinking. But either way, you're devouring it and, and leaving nothing left. And many of us picture in our minds, including myself, if, if I'm not thinking about it deeply, we, we picture Satan either swoop, swooping in like the bird or prowling around like a lion seeking to devour us. And, and we think these horrible thoughts of, you know, uh, chewing up our bodies or, or drinking our blood. And it's, man, Satan is just this really nasty guy and he must do these really destructive things, something really gruesome, right? But what, what's the picture here in this parable? It's much more subtle than that. Satan devours us. He gobbles us up by keeping us from the word of God. That's how he leads hardened hearts to destruction. He's not hiding behind your bathroom door, right? He's not under your bed. He's trying to keep you from the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is a great verse to understand this. Talking about unbelievers. In, the case, in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
Why? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's how he works. So don't think some gruesome, you know, Satan walks around with a knife and he's just ready to stab me in the back. He's just trying to keep you from the word of God. Examples of this in Mark's gospel are the Pharisees, um, their hardened hearts, seeking to destroy Jesus, never giving the word a chance. The, the people in Jesus' hometown, when he comes back and visits Nazareth, and they, they see him as, oh, well, that's Joseph's son. No big deal. Um, and they reject what he says. Uh, King Herod, you know, the, the, the villain in Mark's gospel, all of these people have hardened hearts. And when Jesus teaches them, when they encounter the word, they reject it. So the, but the question for you, are you truly listening to the word? The one we started out with. What does this hardened path teach us? It teaches us that true listening begins with seeking understanding of the word. Seeking understanding of the word. True listening begins with seeking understanding of the word. It requires a posture of humility. And it requires you to drop your pride. And only then are you able to receive the seed of the word. And if not, you're just stuck with whatever's in your heart already. So quickly to the second uh, uh, soil, the rocky places. Um, here we see it in verses five to six of the parable. And Jesus says, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. What do you think this means? Jesus offers this explanation in verses 16 and 17. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Uh, I think it's so interesting, if you look back at verses 5 and 6, uh, at the end of verse 5, it says... Since it immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. I don't know what you make of this um, conjunction, since, but to me, it's saying because it had no depth of soil, it sprang up immediately. In my mind, I picture a college student. Sorry, college students. Uh, they're, they're so quick, and, and I was too, to run around to affinity after affinity, to interest after interest. And when they, when they find something that's, that's cool, all in, right? Completely in, both feet, both hands, you know, sitting on the ground, in. And then you talk to them a month later. So, you know, how, how are you doing in that major? I've uh, dropped it. Yeah, going to change majors. Oh, this girl, I mean, she's the one. She's the one. I'm definitely going to, yeah. So, uh a month later, we broke up. Yeah. Um, no depth of soil leads you to fall for just about anything and immediately and hard, right? Falling head over heels for these things because you had no depth of soil. Um, it springs up because it only takes a little bit of soil to spring up. I mean, you know, think of the, the cracks in your driveway. How much soil is underneath that? Not much, but... 
I cannot get rid of the weeds in the cracks in my driveway. Like it doesn't take long. It's immediately received with joy because there's no depth of soil, because there was no counting the cost. There was no counting the cost, right? I've even thought about in front of the BCM, you know, what do you do to attract students and to make yourself known without sounding cheesy? I just, maybe this year I'll hang the sign. Just a big sign that says, think deeply. Just think deeply. Like, don't, don't be the shallow-hearted person that everything springs up and you're in love with everything in one second and then it's gone. As soon as the, the heat gets turned up, the sun rises, right? It, it should not scorch so easily. And, and if you're sowing seeds, beware of people who respond too quickly like this, right? Uh, think about evangelistic calls of, you know, do you, you turn or burn? Do you want to go to hell? You need to receive now. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have they really counted the cost? Of course not, Right? They receive it with joy. But as soon as, uh, in, in Jesus' explanation, tribulation or persecution comes, they fall away. They renounce Christ. Example of this in Mark's gospel. Uh, Peter, right? Uh, Peter, we have his confession of Jesus as the Christ And then as soon as tribulation and persecution comes, what happens? He denies Christ. Three times. Three times he denies Christ. Uh, And I don't want to skip over the part where Peter is restored. Right? That's, That's super important to understand that even if you have been this rocky ground in your past, even if you have had no depth of soil in your past, Christ is able to restore you. God is able to give you that depth. Don't want you to fall into despair, but I actually, I do want you to consider the question, are you truly listening? Because from this soil, the second one, the rocky places, they teach us that true listening results in persevering in the word. True listening results in persevering in the word. And if you're truly listening, when you hear Christ plant a seed, communicate the word, you hear things like, count it all joy. When you face trials, or you find joy in being co-sharer in Christ's suffering, because you know you're being made into His image, and how the Scriptures teach over and over again how blessed we should consider ourselves if we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. But not these rocky places, right? They fall away. They renounce Christ, and until they are restored. I would argue that they are not true believers, right? And that's important as we move to this third soil, the thorny ground. Uh, In verse 7 in the parable, Jesus says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. What do you make of that one as you listen to Jesus' words? The thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. The explanation he offers in verses 18 and 19, he says, And other ones, others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's how the thorny ground fares. Sounds violent, doesn't it? 
right? The thorns grow up alongside it and choke it. Thorns everywhere. Uh, It's scary imagery. But for this soil, I think when we move it out of the parable world and we move it into the real world, it's not as scary, right? What do I mean? Because this soil, the thorny ground, from an outsider's perspective, all they're doing is seeking worldly desires. And if those are thorns, I think that we often find our thorns pretty comfortable. The cares of this world, right? Uh, The deceitfulness of riches, uh, the desires for other things, uh, these things perfectly describe things I wrestle with on a daily basis, right? Uh, and, and most of the time when I have these things, I'm pretty content. But what's happening? What is actually happening on the spiritual, the, the parable world? It's choking out the seed. It's choking out growth. It's choking out fruit. And what are these thorns? What, 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 are, what are some things uh, that you would think of if you think of the thorns that are choking out your seed? Uh, well, Jesus, in his explanation, gives us those three categories, the cares of the world. What, what would be an example of that? These don't have to be evil things. Finding a spouse. Securing a good job. Reaching this fitness goal. Finishing this remodel talking to myself there. The cares of the world, what the world deems important. Uh, As I was going on on uh, the hiking trip this week, uh, I was riding with my friend, and he he drove me by this ginormous mall. And the name of the mall was American Dream. And and he's like, you see that big tower up there? That's that's an indoor ski slope. I was like, golly. This, I mean, it's the biggest mall I've ever seen. And it's called American Dream. That's, that represents, I mean, I mean shop there. I don't, I'm not going to, you know, not heaping judgment upon you. But if this is the American Dream, that represents the cares of the world. The clothes I wear, you know, the car I drive, how high my indoor ski slope is. The deceitfulness of riches. I just don't think there's much to say there, right? Uh, we could have a whole sermon on this, and, and I don't want to spend too much time here. Uh, but the thing that college students in the BCM or who have been a part of our small group at my house, they've heard me say this over and over again. How many celebrities have to take their own life before we realize money doesn't solve your problems? Often creates them. Like, take that as a testimony from, from the book of the unbelieving world. Riches do not satisfy. The desire for other things. It's just this broad general statement of what do you desire more than the word? What is choking out your fruitfulness? Uh, I picture, if we're, if we're talking about hearing, I picture distracted ears, right? And if people in the first century Middle East were distracted by these things, by the cares of the world, all these things, Lord, help us now. It doesn't even compare. Think of how many notifications you get on your phone every single day. Distraction, distraction, distraction. Uh, Everybody is vying for your attention because attention is revenue. If I have your eyes, I make money. It's the way the world works. 
It wasn't like that in the first century Middle East, but Jesus still warned them. We have to be the most distracted generation in history. We have to be. There's no other answer. We have to be careful with these thorns. And, and something I've learned in my lawn care days, uh, de-weeding and de-thorning is a constant ongoing process. It is not plant the seed, get rid of the thorns, you're good for the rest of the time. It is constant examination of your heart, which I hope is what we're doing here this morning. It is ongoing, daily de-thorning, daily de-weeding. But the important distinction for this soil before we get to the last good soil, the seed on the rocky places, soil number two, it withers away, which is why I said, I think this is a false faith. It does not last. The seed on the thorny ground doesn't wither away, but it yields no fruit. It yields no grain. It proves unfruitful. If you're the soil, ask yourself, are you okay with that? I think, I think the scriptures teach us to not be okay with that. I think it warns us greatly. If we are not producing fruit, there is an issue because this is a powerful seed. So what thorns are choking out your fruit, your grain? Test yourself. Examples of this in Mark's gospel. The disciples arguing about who is the greatest. You know, they're missing opportunities for the gospel because you know, who's the greatest among us? Uh, the rich young man in Mark 10, he, who goes away, he's sad by what Jesus has told him. Why? Because his riches were great. It's not saying that these people aren't believers, but I, it's certainly not saying that these believers are to be mimicked or even their lives to be coveted because they are proving unfruitful. So are you truly listening to the word? Each day as you open your Bible, each Sunday as you gather here, are you truly listening to the word? The thorny ground teaches us that true listening leads to treasuring the word above all else. True listening leads to treasuring the word above all else. And if your ears really hear, you'll hear this from the word. Sell everything to buy the field with a pearl. If you're truly listening, you'll hear the word say that. Lastly, the good soil. In the parable, this is verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. What do you make of that one as you hear it? Jesus' explanation comes from verses 18 and 19 where he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. That's the good soil. So now... If Conrad was here, he would already have been thinking, when is Jacob going to get to this? 
What does it really mean to hear? The biblical command, the, the biblical word to hear or to listen, what does that mean in the context of our scriptures? The most famous hear in all of scripture is Deuteronomy 6, 4, right? The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that Hebrew word, hear, in this context of Deuteronomy 6, really sounds like listen to this announcement, right? Hear, like accept it in your ears. But that same exact verb in Exodus 19, 5 to 6, um, is translated like this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, sounds like an announcement. Exodus 19, 5, if you will indeed hear, and it's always translated obey, always. What does it mean to hear? Listen versus obey is like trying to put faith against fruit. These two things cannot be separated. If you have true faith, you will have fruit. If you are truly listening, you will bear, you will obey. Think of my children. And how many times I say, are you listening to me? Did you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Most of the time, not actually looking at me. Yes, sir. Eyes still on the television. And I say, okay, we'll find out. Because if you walk away and you do the exact same thing, you do not hear me. And if we encounter the word of God and we walk away and our lives are not changed and we don't bear fruit, we are not truly listening. Are you truly listening to the word? This fourth soil, the good soil, teaches us that true listening leads to fruitful obedience to the word. True listening leads to fruitful obedience to the word. So if your ears really hear, if you're asking yourself that question, you're testing yourself, if your ears really hear, you'll hear this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You'll hear, live by the fruit of the spirit and not by the flesh. And you will manifest that fruit of the spirit in ways that you never thought possible because of the power of the seed. True listening leads to fruitful obedience to the word. That, those are our four soils, right? And you may be asking the question that I asked when I first uh, started studying and reading this. And why, why, does, why does seed fall on the hardened path? Why does seed fall upon the rocky places? Why does it fall upon thorny ground. Why not just the good soil? Doesn't God know the soil of our hearts? Yes, of course he does. But Mark's gospel, we saw examples of every single one of these types of soil, right, in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel also illustrates that you can't judge the soil by its surface. You cannot judge the soil by its surface. So why do I say this? Because time and time again in Mark, those you would consider most likely to receive the word don't. The religious leaders, 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but those you would least expect to respond in faith do. They do. Uh, Most famously, the Roman centurion in chapter 15, present at the, the crucifixion of Jesus. What is his famous line? As Jesus breathes his last, he says, truly this was the Son of God. He saw the word for what it was. You would not have expected that from the surface. You would would have called him an enemy. Why does does God practice this uh, Middle Eastern act of broadcast sowing where you just throw seed everywhere? Well, the reason farmers did it is because apparently in the Middle East, all soil pretty much looked the same from the top. And you did not know what it was going to do until you plowed it. And it tried to sink down. Sometimes you'd plow and you would find a lot of rocks right underneath that, that very shallow depth of soil. Sometimes you, as you plowed, you stirred up uh, weeds and thorns would rise up and choke it out. You, you just didn't know. You can't judge the soil by the surface. So as you go and sow, as you go and scatter seed, Scatter it everywhere, right? Scatter it everywhere. But for the question this morning, if you're sitting here thinking, which soil am I? And I hope you are. I hope we all are. I hope you're asking yourself that question, which soil am I? Make sure you ask, yourselves those two, make sure you ask yourself those two questions. Am I truly listening? Because true listening begins with seeking understanding. It does. It doesn't mean that you're a believer, but you're at least seeking. True listening begins there. And then the second soil taught us that true listening results in perseverance in the word. Persevering. The thorny ground says, are you truly listening? Well, true listening leads to treasuring the word above all else. And the last soil teaches us that true listening leads to fruitful obedience. And so ask yourself those, questions, those four questions. Which soil are you after you are honest with yourself? And to close, as a reminder, what is this seed? It's the word, right? Jesus says so in his explanation. What is this word? His message that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. How do we come to believe? Jason said it this morning from Romans 10. Where does this faith, where does belief come from, right? If this is, if we're supposed to accept it and receive it and bear fruit, where does this fruit come from? Romans 10, 17 offers such a helpful reminder. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. So may we be good soil because good soil listens And may we know that the kingdom of God will be full of listeners. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.